Thank you, praise team, for leading us in that song. Um, I re- requested that song to be to be sung right there, and I've been I've been singing it. Thank you, Todd. I've been singing it all week, and then just just now in this moment, um, th- this I've been singing this song all week, and yet just now this idea I love you, Lord. It, there's like a couple of words that you don't want to say um, carelessly. And flippantly, and I think the Lord is one of them. We, I think we have to be careful when we sing not to take the Lord's name in vain. Sometimes we can just sing familiar songs and just say things, and we've got to be careful. And we've got to be careful saying, I love you. And we're, we just sang, I love you, Lord. And we, we love him because he first loved us. Let's pray um, as we get into our uh, message this morning. Thank you, Lord, for loving us and for the way that you demonstrated your love for us on the cross. We thank you, Jesus, that you laid your life down so that we could have peace with God. No longer enemies, but friends, co-heirs with you, children of God. We thank you, Jesus, for uh, what you have done for us. We thank you for your word that allows us to know you better. We thank you that we can know you and know you personally, know you intimately, know you personally. in a way that our hearts really desire. We thank you that we don't have to be um, restless anymore. We thank you, Lord, that you have made a way for us um, to have peace with God. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Love, love Christmas. I love all of the, uh, the Christmas songs and Christmas carols. There's a difference between songs and carols, right? It's like your favorite Christmas songs, Do you have some, I think, Run Run Rudolph and Holly Jolly Christmas are my favorite songs, but those are different from Christmas carols. Do you have favorite Christmas carols? I I can't ever pick just one. I love God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, and we sang this morning, um, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Everybody has different ones. I was very encouraged this week during our Wednesday night uh, tree decorating time as we just sang lots and lots of uh, Christmas carols, and I knew what I was, I was uh, preaching on this morning, and, but it was amazing the way that the Lord used so many of those songs that we were singing to minister to me. Um, let's see, pop quiz, you ready? I'm going to say a line from a song, you tell me what song it is. Born is the king of Israel, do you know? Noel. Noel, boom. Oh, it's going to be a tough one. Born is the king of Israel. We, we, that's a song that we sing all the time, and, and these familiar songs, I don't want them to be, you know, I'm going to encourage you guys this Christmas season. Uh, to think about the songs that are familiar and the words that we're, we're singing. Haste, haste to bring him laud. What song is it? Yeah, okay. Oh, you got some competition one. Yeah. All right. La- last one. I think we should just let this be between Laura and Vicky. You ready? Yes. Oh, yeah. This is every, everybody else is. Okay, y'all, y'all have missed your chance. This is just the two. With the dawn of redeeming grace. Oh, that's it. That's it. Vicki, you are the winner. With the, with, with the dawn of redeeming grace. What a, great, what a great thing for us to think about, that there is redeeming grace that is available to us. Christmas is an awesome time. I love these songs that we get to sing. Um, I love seeing my kids' excitement at Christmas. This morning, Asher said, can't we just put all the gifts under the tree? Like, like, let's go ahead and do it. We're like, no, dude, because you're going to, like, try to sneak and peek and do all that. You're, we can't trust him. Yeah, so no, the, the gifts are going to remain hidden 
for now, the gift of Christmas. Last week, Dean talked about the grace of God as we finished um, 2 Thessalonians. The grace of God, this great gift. Um, we know the grace of God. That though he was rich, he became poor. So that we, through his poverty, might become rich. Praise God uh, for his grace and his gift. We're looking forward uh, to opening gifts. And I hope that they remind us of the greatest gift. There was um, a time, I guess, when they started opening gifts on Christmas Eve. Do you know when that tradition, it's like the, the collective pressure of all the children was mounting on the parents and they finally gave in and they were like, fine, fine, you could open a gift on Christmas Eve. We love um, gifts. And what we're celebrating at Christmas really is the end of a long wait. We're waiting for Christmas. It's coming. Everyone's excited. But we're celebrating is the end of a long wait. And I've been um, praying this week that God would use this time that we're together this morning uh, to help us develop a theology of waiting. That as we think about Christmas, we would think about waiting and we would understand that God has a plan and a purpose in the waiting. Uh, would you turn with me to Romans 15? I'm going to read uh, verses 7 through 13. The context of this is that Jews and Gentiles are together. They're together with the same hope, and that hope is the work of Christ, confirming the promises of God. Romans 15, 7 through 13. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers, and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing to your name. Again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. And Isaiah says, there shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. Now, verse 13 is where we're going to focus this morning. And now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul labels God in a very specific way. He calls him the God of hope. He's not the God of maybe. He's not the God of perhaps. He's the God of hope. You see, when we use the word hope, a lot of times we use it to express doubt or uncertainty. I hope it doesn't rain. I hope I get this job. I hope things turn out the right way. Do you see the doubt in, the, in those statements where we use hope? But that's not the kind of God that we know and love and serve. He's the God of hope, and biblical hope is totally different from worldly hope. Right, the Bible tells us what real hope is rooted in, and it's rooted in the faithfulness of God. Look at Hebrews 10.23. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let's hold, let us hold firmly to the confession of our hope without wavering. Because he who promised is faithful. 
God isn't a God of maybe. He's a God of yes. When he makes promises, his promises are going to, to come true. He's made many promises. He's made huge promises. And not only does he make promises, but he's able to fulfill his promises. So that when, when we think about the promises of God, we can be confident that he is going to do what he said he's going to do. Is he going to be faithful even when we're faithless? Yes. Is he going to bring peace to my chaos? Yes. Is he going to provide for all of my needs? Yes. Is he going to make all things new? Yes. Does he know what I'm going through? Yes. Does he know how to help me through this? Yes. Does he care? Yes. Is he going to make a way when there doesn't seem a way? Yes. Because he's done it all before. God is faithful. He's kept all of his promises and we can trust him. All of God's promises are yes, yes in Christ. He is a God of hope. And his hope is different from the world's hope. God is a God who values waiting. So you can't have hope and you can't have promises without the waiting. The one necessitates the other. The promises of God mean that we have to wait, and so God values waiting couple of things about waiting. Waiting increases our faith. You ever known anybody who was a, like a master negotiator? They always had an angle. They always were trying to get things like on their terms. Did, they were trying to get you to do things their way. We can't be like that with God. We have to wait on God and wait on his timing and wait on his plan. We have to approach life on his terms, not on our own. Maybe we know the promises of God, but sometimes even when we know him, it's hard to wait. We want the results sooner, but we have to trust him and his timing and his purposes. We can't trust our own plans. We can't trust our own opinions. We can't trust our own logic. We can't trust our own experiences. We have to trust God, and that happens in the waiting, where God increases the depth of our faith. Waiting, it not only increases our our, our faith now, but it helps to prepare us um, for the future. Are you ready for the future? Think. Things are going to go sideways. I don't mean south. Like, I don't think things are necessarily going to be bad for you, but things are going to be different for you than you plan. When you think about the future, if you make plans for the future, it's probably not going to turn out like you imagine it. Because God has different plans than we have. Are you ready for when things change? God wants to grow our faith as we trust in his promises. And there's some growth that needs to happen in us now so that we're ready in the future for the plans that God has for us then. There's some things that need to happen in our lives, some transformation that needs to happen, some change that needs to happen, some maturity that needs to happen so that we're going to be fruitful and useful to God when he brings his plans to pass in the future. They're not our plans, they're his plans, and we need to be ready. Waiting gives us an eternal perspective. It helps us take our eyes off of just ourselves and how these changes are affecting me, and it helps us be ready to see, God, how is this thing that 
that you have planned for me that I, I may not even fully understand right now? How is this going to affect your kingdom? How is this going to impact other people? How are you, how are you going to use this thing that I don't understand right now to bring yourself glory in the future and to bring more people uh, into your family? We need to stop, sometimes slow down, and ask that God gives us an eternal perspective. Time to be prayerful, to consider what it is that he may be doing. Time for us to humble ourselves. Time for us to, to be shaped and transformed into the image of Christ so that we can be ready for what's next. See, waiting isn't mindless, lazy activity. That's not what we mean by waiting, where we just kind of, you know, you know don't do anything. No, we need to be working and uh, looking for, what's God, for what God is doing. Waiting is a gift from God. It's an opportunity to slow, dance, slow down and take advantage of the time to seek God. It's a gift of God, time to slow down so we can seek him. Not to seek just answers, not to seek just plans, not to seek next steps, but to seek God. Look at Psalm 42, 5 uh, with me. Psalm 42, 5 says, Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. I didn't intend it as I was thinking about this passage of scripture this week, but so often this idea of presence was coming to mind. That in all of the hope, in all of the joy, in all the peace, it's all wrapped around the presence of God. The psalmist found his hope in the presence of God. We seek God to know him. His character, his, his character is firm. His word is true. And so no matter what it is that we're going through, no matter how the, the storm is raging in, in our circumstances, no matter, no matter the, the, the chaos that's happening in our minds, we can seek God. Look at this promise um, again, in, uh, in Romans 15. Romans 15, 12. And Isaiah says, There shall come the root of Jesse, he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, and him shall the Gentiles hope. A ruler is coming. That was the promise. As, as Dan mentioned through Isaiah, seven, eight hundred years previous to the fulfillment that God um, would, would bring. In that time, 700 years, that's a long time. And in that time, most had moved on. Most of the people in Israel, they weren't thinking about the Messiah. There, were, there was external pressure from the, the Persians and then the Greeks and then the Romans. There was internal pressure from like the Maccabees and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, all these people trying to exert authority you know, in Jewish life, trying to teach, tell them how you know, they should live their lives. And yet... Kind of behind the scenes, there was a small group. There were some who were waiting. They were seeking God, and they were waiting for a different kind of king. Um, one of those people was uh, the prophetess Anna. You can find her story in Luke 2. I want to read verses 36 through 38. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then as a widow to the age of 84, she never left the temple, 
serving night and day with fastings and prayer. At that very moment, she came up. This is the moment when Jesus was presented in the temple. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption um, of Israel. Anna, along with Simeon, is one of those who was um, looking for God's redemption. They knew that God was a promise maker and that he was a promise keeper and that he would keep his promises. We might not understand the timing. We might not understand the promise, but we know the God who made the promise. And so Anna and Simeon, because they trusted God, they were able to continue to seek him to look. They weren't paralyzed, but they were actively engaged, seeking to know the God of hope. Her waiting wasn't wasted. She was waiting They were waiting. But what was Anna doing while she was waiting? Not mindless, lazy lazy inactivity. What was she doing? She was serving, praying, fasting, speaking the word of God. That's her role as a prophetess. That's what prophets did, right? They spoke the word of God. This is what she was doing. She was diligent in her pursuit of God. She was helping other people be ready. She was looking forward to that time when God would bring his word to completion, and and she got to see it. Praise God for that. Now go back to um, Galatians 4 with me. Um, Paul is praying, may the God of hope, I'm sorry, not Galatians, um, Romans 15, I'm sorry. Paul is praying uh, for these people, for this church, and now may the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The God God of hope has made promises and we can know him and Paul is praying that this God of hope would fill us with joy and peace. And so I want to look at another group of people who are actively um, seeking the Lord. We we read their story um, during the scripture reading in Matthew 2, um, but uh, right now let's reread a couple of verses from that um, larger passage again. Matthew 2, 9 through 11. After hearing the king, the magi went on their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, uh, they saw the child with Mary's mother, and they fell to the ground, and they worshipped him. And in opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Here's another group of people who are not, not wasting the waiting, but they were actively seeking God in the waiting. And when they... They've, they come to Bethlehem, and they come to the, to the house, and they see the child. What was their response? They were overjoyed. Remember, Paul is praying that the God of hope would fill people with joy. And so I, wanna, I want us to think about this joy that the, the Magi had. It says when they saw the star, they were overjoyed, but it wasn't the star that made them overjoyed. It was where the star was leading them to. They, they had found what they were looking for. How do I know that it wasn't the star? How do I know that their focus was more because it, they didn't worship the star? Right, where was their worship focus? Their f- worship was focused on Jesus. Joy and worship go hand in hand. 
We, we enjoy things that we ascribe value to. Can you enjoy something that you think is trivial, meaningless, and unimportant? I spent a lot of time thinking about this this week, and I, I, don't, I don't think we can. Can we enjoy something that we think is trivial, meaningless, and unimportant? We don't. So joy and worship go hand in hand. We enjoy the things that we ascribe value to. We're not going to give our time and our attention and our our focus and our energy to things that we think are um, meaningless and that we don't find joy in. The world has counterfeit joy, joy that's found in lesser things. But God's promise for us is full joy because full joy is spiritual. It's a gift of the Spirit. You know the the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. Real joy has to come from God. It's his joy shared with us, and then it pulls us back to him so that he can be enjoyed and worshipped as he deserves. Their worship was right because their joy was right. Think about this, this journey that they had been on over the burning sands, on camelback. There was nothing easy about this journey, right? And yet, at at the end, it's not exhaustion. It's not relief. At the end, the outcome of this is joy. Their joy went beyond mere happiness. Their joy went beyond mere comfort and convenience um, and ease. They were seeking him. They were seeking Jesus. They wanted to be with him. And they brought gifts to lay down at his feet. Their worship cost them something, right? All this effort, all these gifts, their worship cost them something, or did it? Did their worship cost them something? It did, and it didn't, because they got even more. They received back even more. They were joyful, and that was good, but they, they got to have and be with Jesus. We, we sang this song, um, Knowing You, right before, uh, right as our offering song. Um, it points us back to Philippians 3. So let's read Philippians 3, 7 and 8 together. We already sang this together. Let's read this together. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I don't know that it cost them anything because they gained, at the end, they had so much more. They They had the surpassing value of knowing Jesus. Praise God that we get to know Jesus, the surpassing value. Of knowing him. Paul prayed that the God of hope would fill them with joy and that he would also fill them with peace. God has a purpose, it's to fill us with joy and peace. Sometimes when people wait, they get filled with doubt and anxiety. And it's because they, they don't have confidence in the right thing, they don't have confidence in what they're waiting for. And so it leads them to, to anxiety and worry. But we do. In our waiting, we can have peace. Um, there's a promise, another promise from the Old Testament that the, the Magi were encouraged by. Um, in that earlier section in Matthew 2, uh, they quoted Micah 5. So I want to look at Micah 5, but I want to look at it originally. So um, the original um, passage in, in Micah 5, because I want to I look at one more verse than Matthew quoted. But um, 
Would you turn to Matthew 5, 2 through 5 with me? Micah, Micah 5, sorry, Micah 5, 2 through 5. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will come forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His times of coming forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. And then the remainder of his kinsmen will return to the sons of Israel. And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. In the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. The ruler who's coming is going to shepherd the people of Israel. Fill in, fill in the blank. Sheep are, I knew, I knew somebody, sheep are loved. I, I, I know I set you up. I'm sorry. She, thank you. Whoever that was, I don't know who. A lot of times we think of sheep as being dumb, but I, I don't think that that's the idea that we're supposed to think of when we think of the shepherd shepherding the sheep. I want us to, to think about the fact that sheep are loved, that the shepherd cares for the sheep. The shepherd protects the sheep because he loves the sheep. It's no coincidence that Jesus used this language to describe himself, is it? In John 10, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. We're going to look at this passage um, together also. John 10, 8 through 11. This is what Jesus said. He said, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. There's a warning here. Don't be fooled. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. The thief is going to use the sheep for his own game, and then he's going to discard them when they no longer serve a purpose or bring him any profit. The world is full of empty people who are pursuing empty things, and the outcome is going to be empty lives, empty and chaotic lives. The world wants something from you. They want your time. They want your views. The world wants your likes, the world wants your follows, the world wants your loyalty, the world wants your money. The world wants something from you, but Jesus wants something for you. He is the good shepherd. He offers himself. Yes, again, the offer of his presence. He offers to be known, and he says that he will be our peace. The promise is that the good shepherd will lead us into pasture. The promise is that the good shepherd will lead us into rest. We don't have to know the specifics, but we know that the shepherd is good. And the good shepherd is going to lead us into good places. We will go in and out and find pasture, even in the hard times, even in the difficult times. He can bring springs of life, springs of living water 
up in our wilderness. Because peace doesn't come from ease. Peace comes from Jesus. There are a lot of people who have had easy lives. There are a lot of people who have who've had easy roads. And their minds and the quietness of their hearts at night is torment and chaos because they didn't know the Prince of Peace. There's a restlessness that comes with not knowing Jesus. And what a blessing it is that we get to know him. Peace comes from the presence of God. Uh, For the believer, that peace comes from knowing uh, that God is too wise to make mistakes and he's too loving to be unkind and that these things that he has for us are part of his plan and he's going to bring everything to the, the best completion that's for our good and that's for his glory. And we believe him. We believe that, you know, he's in whatever we're going through and that he's with us and that he's for us and that he's offered to bear our burdens and he's offered to to help us through it, to minister to our hearts so that we can both receive his help and his hope and then help others who are going through similar things and point them to the Prince of Peace. For the non-believer, this is the invitation that you can have peace with God. He's the way. He is the door. If you want to have peace, put your trust in him. We want to close um, looking at Galatians 4, 4 and 5. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. When the fullness of time came, that's the, that's the gospel message. Right? That at the right time, God sent his son. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas, the end of this wait. God sent his son, born of a woman. He took on human flesh, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. People who are under the law need redemption because the law tells us that we're sinners. We're all sinners. We all fall short. We've all broken the law. Everyone has sinned except Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. He lived a perfect life. And then just like we were reminded in John 10, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus laid his life down for us because he loves us. And then he took that life back up again on the third day so that he can promise eternal life to everyone who believes in him. Praise God that we can have peace with him through the work of Jesus. I encourage you this morning, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know joy, and if you don't know peace, put your trust in him. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you so much for this time that we've had um, together to look into your word, to be encouraged that God, you are a God of hope who keeps his promises. We thank you that you um, have said yes. That all the promises in your word are true. We're thankful that we can trust you and depend on you. Would you help us, Lord, to submit ourselves to you, to humble ourselves? We look forward, Lord, to what you're going to do and the way you're going to use us to expand your kingdom, to increase our faith, and to bring you glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.